0: Good morning, church family. I can't say I won't cry during this sermon. <laughs> See how it goes. I was made aware that a good friend of mine from here, uh, really, he hurt his knees really badly. And uh, you might recognize his voice. You might hear him sometimes say, oh, yeah, or uh-huh. That's Irwin. Erwin hurt his knees really bad. And so... Uh, He's my cupbearer. He brings me water after every sermon, every, every service. Probably he's a cupbearer to many people, but um, I don't know if he's watching, but uh, we love you, Aaron. And uh, I know we've done a lot of praying, but the church is a house of prayer. I'd just love to quickly pray for Irwin, who hurt himself. And so, Lord, we thank you for Irwin. Thank you that he's a part of our church. And he reminds us, God, that uh, church is a wild place. Church is a place where people come. And no matter who they are, what their story is, God, they find that for some reason, you just are passionately in love with them and that you sent your son to die for them. And so we just pray your healing over him, your peace over him. Pray that there'd be good community around him, encouraging him as he heals up. And so we just commit Irwin to you. And may this church be a place that embraces precious people like Irwin. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So I don't have to worry about uh, (laughs) Erwin giving some of his comments, but I I might miss that. Um, I struggled to know what to say in my last sermon, and I thought it was going to be, I thought I was going to have an easy way out, uh, but as I was praying, um, I had an idea from the Lord, you already saw the title, Remember the Poor, and uh, I went to the Kootenay Coffee in Rutland, and I was driving in there, and I met I met a I met someone. Um, his name's Daniel, and he has all these shopping carts, and uh, I went up to him with a hot chocolate, and I said, "Hey, I'm thinking of preaching on, remember the poor. What do you think?" And he's like, "Oh, that's awesome!" And then we talked for like 20 minutes, and uh, and so I thought, "Okay, Lord, I'm going to go with this." Well, I wasn't expecting this to be my last sermon, but. I haven't really preached on this topic, but it's been something on my heart for a long time, and I think it's been something on God's heart for a long time. It's always on God's heart. And so as we were talking, Daniel and I, we got talking about the coldest night of the year. Do you remember that night? Where were you? Sunday, January 12th, when it started to get dark and the temperature dropped to minus 22 and the winds were 30 kilometers an hour. And the snow was blowing horizontal to the ground. Do you remember that? I remember running from my car to the house. I didn't have a jacket. Typical guy. Thought I'd be okay. It was freezing. And in there in the warmth of my home, I remembered something. And I wonder if you remembered that too. And, and that's the poor. I thought about the people on the street, shivering, seeking shelter. And did you remember the poor as you were sitting by your forced air heater or area heater in your home? Remember the poor. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. This is God's word for us this morning, and I want to leave that with you, and I take it with me as you send me to Mission Creek Alliance Church. So two verses, Galatians 2, verses 9 and 10. We find these three words. Galatians 2, 9 and 10. James, Cephas, or Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me, Paul, and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and that they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian church because the integrity of the gospel is always at stake in every generation. But it's not just the content of the good news that hangs in the balance that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us. That's Galatians 1 4. But what also is at stake is the corresponding countercultural way of life in Jesus. The gospel is not merely a belief system. The earliest Christians were called followers of the way, precisely because their way of life stood out to their neighbors. And the thing that stood out the most was the very thing Peter, James and John urged Paul to uphold in his church planting. They said, "Remember the poor, Paul." Charles Spurgeon humorously notes that when they did what they didn't say to Paul, they didn't say, "Remember the rich." Because <laughs> we like to remember the rich and famous. We like to think about them. But why is it that it's so easy to forget the poor? may I suggest it has something to do with the ancient triple threat. And I'll get into that. Something that Christians throughout all of history have warned us about. You may have heard of them. Watch out for the world. Watch out for the flesh. Watch out for the devil. So I want to look at these and how they influence us as we seek to remember the poor. So in the Bible, the world represents human culture opposed to God. It's the water we swim in, and as it is for the fish, so it is with us. Culture is really hard to see, but it pulls us like the current pulls a fish. and so Peter James and John, as they're considering Paul bringing the gospel of Jesus to the greco-Roman culture, they're very well the, or they're very aware of the fact that those people in that culture are not going to like this message to remember the poor. And that's because in the ancient Greco-Roman culture, there was no popular value of taking care of the poor as there is today. So if we could go back in time and if there was social media, you wouldn't see any like selfies of young people in a soup kitchen. You wouldn't see any hashtag give back. There just wasn't this movement of taking care of the poor. They were often neglected. And so American sociologist Rodney Stark writes in in his amazing book, The Rise of Christianity, which asks from a sociological sociological perspective, how did a little band of fishermen and tradespeople transform the world? That is just crazy, historically speaking. And so in that book, he does research and he observes that the gods of Rome and Greece didn't particularly care whether or not you loved your neighbour or the poor. All they cared about was that you offered the right sacrifices. And so what Paul was bringing to the Gentile world in the gospel of Jesus was a revolutionary idea for the time, says Stark. This idea that God loves the poor. He even died for them. And if you want to love him, you need to love the poor as well. And so it was in the 4th century, the pagan emperor Julian was infuriated at his inability to get his state-sponsored priests to inspire the people to love like the Christians were loving. He writes, Those impious Galileans, those Christians, support not only their poor, but our poor. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. So culture, the world... And this begs the question, how does our present-day culture threaten the integrity of our gospel? Consider these these words from former U.S. Senate chaplain Richard Halverson. He says this. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture And finally, it moved to North America, where it became an enterprise, a business. When church is a business, focusing on innovative programs to attract more and more customers to fill the pews, what gets forgotten? The poor get forgotten, because the poor aren't good for business. And when you and I play into this and come to church as consumers... How will we ever hear Christ's call to the needs of the poor when we're so preoccupied on our needs and our wants and our likes and our styles and our preferences? So picture this. Hello, welcome to church. How may I take your order? Yes, I'll have a handsome greeter in plaid, padded pews in the sanctuary, preacher with tight jeans, and a short inspirational message that reminds me of just how special I am and how lucky God is to have me here today. (laughs) Thank you. When church, when the church follows after the culture, the church does not look after the poor. The world. Next is the flesh. Second reason we forget the poor is the flesh. And the flesh basically is this plain observation that humans are just kind of naturally selfish. Our desires naturally revolve around ourselves. And so when it comes to money, it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with money. In Scripture, wealth creation is a good. And Phil has been reminding us of Jonathan Wesley's famous theology on money, which is amazing. Gain all you can. Save all you can. Yes and amen. So the problem is not so much money, it's the hands that hold the money and the heart that guides the hand. And it's in this sobering reality of the flesh that Jonathan Wesley goes on to say this about money. When I have money, I get rid of it quickly, lest it find its way into my heart. And Spurgeon echoes that. Very frequently, people's hearts get smaller when their means get greater, and so the apostle Paul, who is pasturing his flock, says this: "But people who long to f- to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction." That's First Timothy six nine. So the world, the flesh, and then the devil. There is the devil. What? But what? What sensible, educated person believes in the devil, right? When I was in grad school, I liked to call him the enemy because the devil just seemed a bit too, like, really. But then, after ten years of hearing stories of brokenness and addiction and temptation and darkness, I don't believe the prevailing secular narrative that says, "Well, how do we make how do we make sense of human evil? Well, it was a lack of education, lack of technology." lack of access to services. You get those, human evil will just disappear. No, it's, it's something far deeper and darker. It was for no small reason that Lieutenant General Romeo Dallaire titled his Rwandan genocide memoir, Shake Hands with the Devil. It's an incredible read. And in one interview, he was asked if he still believed in God after all he saw firsthand during the genocide, all the slaughtering. And Dallaire said this, he said... I know there is a God because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I have seen him. I have smelled him. I have touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore, I know there is a God. There is a devil. He hates the humanity that God loves, and he hates the poor. And one of his subtlest strategies is sowing dehumanizing seeds, dehumanizing seeds. So in its fully grown form, it looks like Rwandan genocide. It looks like a Holocaust. But in its seedling form, it's more recognizable to us in our everyday life. So choosing to look away from a homeless person, avoiding their eyes, pretending that they don't exist. That's dehumanizing. Or a person giving themselves over to addiction because they have believed the lie that they are worthless and unlovable That's dehumanizing. That's the enemy. The devil wants people to forget the poor, and he wants the poor to forget that they are people. And so it's against this darkness that the followers of Jesus shine the light of his gospel. Remember the poor. Christ died even for them. And we remember the words of our Lord in the Gospel of Matthew where he says, then the righteous... Will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. The devil will not give ground easily as we step into this call to care for the poor. But we hold on to the scripture that the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Amen. And Christians rehumanize, we humanize. We restore dignity. We look people in the eyes. We say you are loved. You matter. Remember the poor. That's what Paul was told by these three dudes (laughs) who probably had beards. Remember the poor, Paul. What was his response? I've always been eager to do that. I think in other churches, I probably would have been so scared to preach this, but I was not so scared. I was scared, but not so scared. And that's because I see this eagerness in you. This passion to care for the poor and powerless. We've done life for seven and a half years together. And I've witnessed firsthand you serving wholeheartedly at the pregnancy care center, fighting for the unborn. Freedom's Door, Gospel Mission, Salvation Army, Metro, Child of Mine, so many more. This church is a church that wants to serve, to love the poor, And the powerless. And then during our transition time for the last two years, as we sat down for KGF and conversation, what kept bubbling up and the thing that kept coming down on paper and people kept sharing around their tables was like, we want to be on mission. We want to be an inside out church. We want to serve. We want to make a difference in the city. Again and again, we heard that. And then just two nights ago, I was at Metro hanging out with uh, Debbie and Tim and uh, Robin and James. James said that uh, God was mad at me, so uh, I told him that's not good because uh, I'm preaching in a few days. But he said, well, just pray. you got to talk to God. Talk to God. It's like, okay, I'm going to pray. So uh, I don't think he's mad at me anymore, but uh, we had a great time together. And so uh, Tim and Debbie are liaisons from KGF to help provide a path where we can help serve the poor and the homeless, but with a ministry that knows what they're doing, that has been there a while. And so it was just encouraging to be there and to meet some of the people there and learn their stories. But there's Debbie and Tim stepping out in faith. And then we just blessed the KCS India team, the young and the old. (laughs) We only pray for the young. (laughs) (laughs) I'm old too. I'm right there with you. Um, They're going halfway around the world to love orphans and the poor, and to be loved, and to bring that back to Kelowna, and I just pray that relationship grows. Remember the poor. I say that to fan into flame what the Spirit of God has already lit among you. It's already happening, but may that grow. Take a closer look at this photo. That's, again, Daniel and his little camp there. He says, I got that there so that when people drive by, they remember. They remember the poor. And the paper's wet and torn. It's a powerful image. Top story of 2020. A homeless crisis. But whose crisis is it? Is it only the crisis for the poor? And there are people in Kelowna saying that the crisis belongs to the city of Kelowna. Other people say the crisis belongs with the province. Other people say it's a crisis with Ottawa. And everyone's pointing away from themselves, saying, More must be done. But when the pillars of the faith, Peter, James, and John, looked out at their broken world full of the poor, they did not point to the city of Jerusalem. They did not point to Pontius Pilate, the prefect from Rome. They did not point to Caesar Augustus in Rome. They pointed to themselves. They pointed to the church, Christ's body on earth, and they pointed at Paul, and they pointed at us. Remember the poor. Yes, Kelowna faces a homelessness crisis, but even more, I believe, spiritually speaking, the church of Kelowna is facing an identity crisis. And I don't have the answer, but I believe that's what's happening this year, when you look at what's happening in the city and the various Christian ministries engaged with homelessness and look at our churches today. Identity crisis. Who are we? What are we about in the face of homelessness? What does Christ call upon us in this hour? And is there an eagerness in our gospel to help the homeless? And whatever the answers may be, I want to close with three ancient Christian practices that will help us to remember the poor. And the first one is practice humility, which I was terrible at in high school, but I'm getting better. It's very easy for us to think and for other people to think that we're better than the homeless somehow. Maybe not explicitly, but implicitly. I was talking to a young father from our church who helps out at the welcome Inn shelter, and we were saying, man, we're all the same. To recognize that we all share a common brokenness, that life has cracked us all, and that we're all in need of grace and God's healing. That is humility. And so to the Corinthian church who was struggling with pride and looking down on others, Paul says these powerful words. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, Why boast as though it were not a gift? Everything the poor have, everything the rich have, everything that you have is from God. Everything good comes down from the Father of lights. So God's grace is the great equalizer. Walk in it, practice humility, and you'll find yourself remembering the poor. You'll find yourself with them, and you'll find yourself saying, Tell me your story. How'd you end up here? Secondly, practice simplicity. In his classic work, The Freedom of Simplicity, Richard Foster says this God does want to bless us, but not for personal aggrandizement, but to benefit and bless all the peoples of the earth. So contrary to our culture's insistence that we should use our expendable income to buy more and more stuff for ourselves, Phil reminded us last week that, is there really such a thing as expendable income? It's actually all God's. And he calls us to invest it wisely for his kingdom. And so I think again of Charles Spurgeon, he's one of my pastor heroes, and he was pastoring a church of more than 5,000 people in London, early 20th century century. And they were wealthy. And so how did Spurgeon and the leaders there steward that blessing? During one sermon, he said this, Dear friends, we are a huge church. And we should be doing more for the Lord in this great city. I want us tonight to ask him to send us some new work. And if we need money to carry it on, Let us pray that the means also may be sent. And so as the money started to flow in for this new work and they were discerning what it was, did they build a bigger barns for themselves or a nicer building? No. They built an orphanage to educate hundreds of homeless boys in London. And so how can you and how can I spend less on ourselves and more on those in need? Simplicity. Simplicity. And then the last practice is generosity, and I'd love to invite up the worship team as we close with this practice. So, worship team, as you're coming out, practice generosity. Now, you guys already are. This is an incredibly generous church. I know that personally, and it's just amazing. But what I want to encourage us into is incarnational, in person, personal expressions of generosity where if you're able, go yourself. Go personally in your generosity. And I end with this, this word from Spurgeon. I was quoting a lot of Spurgeon, but it's just too good here. Some of you should, now and then, go and search out poverty. If you would have your hearts enlarged, visit the poor. Follow them into their dens, for they are there, but little better on some cases, Go up their creaking staircases. See the straw in the corner of the room where they sleep. I, I don't know how they say that. See worse than that. See a chair whereon a man has been for the last five years. Not able to sit without being propped. Obliged to be fed by others. I have a feeling that he did that. That he saw this. And yet living on four or five shillings a week with nothing to support him properly or give him sufficient bodily nutriment. Go and see such cases. And if you do not put your hands in your pockets and help the aged pilgrims, I'm afraid there's not much Christianity in you. That's pretty bold. That church was packed. This is preaching the Bible. Or if you do not help the one that you see has the greatest need, I'm afraid the love of God dwells not in you. It is the duty we owe to the poor of the Lord's flock and we reap many advantages we should not have if we had not to remember the poor. Now I, have may, I may have made you uncomfortable with this sermon. I'm pleased to tell you there's still time to fire me. <laughs> but <laughs> I have been uncomfortable. I, yeah. because I don't have answers. I've, and I've carried this burden in me a long time. And Devin and I have had, tried to be more missional in our youth ministry. But I hear the words. You hear the words from Christ. Remember the poor. And it's scary. And I'm scared. And I have trepidation too. But just because it's scary doesn't mean we shouldn't hear it. So what will it look like? And what will will be asked of me? And I end with this. Let us not forget how great God's faithfulness is to us. That he who has called us to the poor is faithful. And he will do it. So friends, can we stand together and sing? Great is thy faithfulness.